0: At approximately 5.15 p.m. on May 10th in 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 explore a cave near their house in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri.
1: Brothers Billy Hogue, Joel Hogue, and friend Craig Dow are never seen again. It is now 52 years later. This
0: is their story.
1: Go home, I'll just leave her alone For my love grows just four miles down the road The only thing that I feel for my wife is sympathy Cause four miles
0: down the road is where my heart is Welcome back to the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. This is your host, Frankie Campbelletta, and with me as always... Chris Ketters. Hi, Chris. Hey, how's it going, Frankie? Uh, It's going well. We have a fun show today, but did you want to drop any kind of, you know, hints about what happened this week? Oh,
1: sure. Uh, What's actually coming up this week. There you go. It's more exciting. Uh, We had the great opportunity, and we'll give him a plug, Chad Douglas. He was uh, with us uh, for a couple days uh, last week, and he was... Uh, interviewing us about this
0: podcast and about our efforts it was awesome Uh, it was a news station that actually cared about what we were doing and wanted to promote what we were doing for the community and for the lost boys and so sitting down with them was incredible and also uh, revealing to the fact that there are people that still care
1: yeah, it's, it's great, too. Chad is a local boy. He grew up here. He went to Stoll School, which everybody in the podcast community knows Stoll School at this point in time. And uh, so it's great. And, and one of the things I really appreciated was he was asking questions for us about the history that that's i always love talking about it. i mean we've, we've done so much research in the past six months about it it's great to talk about it and uh, be able to uh, have those questions asked so as always if you're on our facebook page community page you have a question comment go to our community page and ask that because we're always excited to to, to discuss the lost boys
0: it's also kind of crazy he's an avid listener of the show now yeah uh, which is great We've made him a fan in less than two weeks. Where's
1: the next episode? Well, here it is.
0: Here it is. This is the next (laughs) episode you were wanting. Also, that when he started at um, the the school, the school, school, yes, the one of our 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 ladies, one of the teachers that testified that she had seen the boys, Louise Kohler, Louise was still there. Yeah, she was still teaching. Yeah. So that's yeah. crazy. And he, unfortunately she just passed away in the last like year. Yeah.
1: And she was like 98, I believe when yeah. she passed away. So, and he's
0: only a year older than me. So yeah. he's, he's a young guy. I yeah. mean,
1: so good stuff. Uh, yeah, but we think Chad and make sure to check that out. Uh, KHQA is, the station, if you're local, if you're in the Hannibal Quincy area, be looking for that this week. It'll pull out sometime this week. If you're not, you can go to their Facebook page. They'll have, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to have the the feature story on the Facebook page, but also be listening because if things work out right Friday, we're actually doing a Facebook Live with Chad. So if you have questions and want to get into that, you can do that as well. So make sure to uh, check that out on the KHQA Facebook page.
0: That would be it's exciting to think about how far we've come since July and it's nuts this usually doesn't happen for a couple of years but you know Hannibal and Quincy just got behind us and we've just been very lucky and blessed and one of the things too is our audience and the support and the community we're about 319 strong right now on our facebook our instagram is growing if you want to give that guys a look we got about 45 followers we'd like a couple more there we post pictures all the time uh, but up next we have an interesting show chris
1: yeah i'm really excited we 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 of course have been talking about william karis last two episodes and in We needed to get more information because what we had in the article was good. Uh, It was really informative, but we needed more. And
0: so you were able to track down Christian Lyons. Christian Lyons, who's an actor-writer in Hollywood. He actually lives out in Pasadena, California. He's been doing stage acting, uh, film acting for years. Uh, He has an IMDb page. You can look him up. Super cool. Uh, One of the things, though, that makes him pretty much a great guest is that although he's an actor— He's not acting about being a caver. No. He has been to the bottom of Schroeder's Pants Cave. He has pulled out the remains of Jim Mitchell with the brother of Jim Mitchell. And he's about to share all of that with us right now. So without any further ado, Mr. Christian Lyon.
2: Hey, this is Christian Lyon.
0: Hey, how are you, Christian? This is Frankie and Chris Ketters.
2: So here we are.
0: First and foremost, thanks so much for doing the show. Certainly. Certainly. It's important to us, as you know, as you dove down into the last two episodes of Lost Boys of Hannibal, we have been talking about Schroeder's Pants Cave, which you seem to be the foremost authority on it, having been down there, growing up around the area, and then doing the documentary footage, which you have archived right now. Can you talk a little bit about what intrigued you about that story and how you got involved?
2: Uh, Grandfather George Lyon and uh, his brother Lyndon Lyon, along with Herbert Schroeder, were the three founders of uh, you know the Schroeder's Pants Cave? And that was back in the uh, the late nineteen forties. Um, Herb Schroeder was uh, you know supervising principal at the Dodgeville School, uh, which is in central New York, Dodgeville, New York, and he was essentially that uh, that summer uh, he was driving around the, the country roads uh, trying to map out bus routes for the upcoming school season. And there was a farmer's field where he kept seeing, you know, water flowing along and then dis- disappearing, and that intrigued him. Um, and so he um, uh, put it out that he was looking for some people that were interested in maybe exploring a little bit, and both my grandfather and my, my uh, great-uncle had already been uh, caving, and so they uh, took him up on that, and that's how they, they started the exploration to the, you know, sort of Okay, that's
0: that's a, that's a good synopsis as to, like, how you got involved so here's some of the questions that we've got from our audience. One of the big questions here as we get into the story of Mitchell and, you know, you and the family's heroic efforts to bring Mitchell out of the cave after it was a bunch of hearsay was talking. We'll get into the hearsay as well about his body and people taking parts and all these types of interesting treasures. Can you first describe the scene that Mitchell and his team walked in, in Schroeder's cave in 1965? What what is can you describe for people like because they don't understand how they just couldn't pull them up? Can you kind of like go into detail what it looks like because you've you've been down there you've been all the way down so,
2: correct so yeah yep and 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 there was you know some um, some misinformation that I listened to or you know uh, you know with the. Uh, some of your uh, understanding of the cave, uh, and I guess unless you're there, you don't understand, and it's easy reading, uh, you know, how you can get kind of mixed up a little bit. So, uh, essentially, the cave stood, set in a mile or mile and a half or two miles off the road. Um, so, they parked at the road, uh, and they had to walk through the farmer's field to get there. So, before they even got to the cave, you got to imagine, this is 1965, there was no wetsuits and all that. They had woolen clothes. Um, and, uh, so by the time they got to the cave, trudging through a foot of snow, you're already wet and damp and cold. Okay. Now you get to the opening of the cave. Um, the cave itself, it's, it's, this is not a long cave. It's uh, very sporty. It's tight. It's got, uh, uh, drop-offs. It's got water. It's got every, all the things you can, you know, think of in a short amount of space. Maybe you're talking, uh, uh I don't know, a couple hundred feet um, from opening to where it starts zigzagging and all that and then drops down into the pit where um, Mitchell's body was. There are certain parts of that cave where it's 18 inches in diameter. It's like a wormhole. So it's not like some of these big open caves where, you know, they got rooms that you can walk, you know, a whole group of people in. No, this is, you're crawling on your on your belly, your arms are stretched in front of you. You're using your your toes. You're grabbing with your fingers, and you got rock touching all parts of your body. So that alone uh, probably frightens <laughs> a large part of the audience.
1: And this is just that's just the entrance way, right? We're not getting into the hole yet.
2: Oh God, no, no! The hole opens up into a big bell shape where you can put a house down inside of it. So the, the hole itself opens up; that's huge. But it's getting to there, uh, uh, working your way back into there, um, where you're, you're you're going sideways. Bigger than you know, 180 pounds, you're not going to make it in there. You know, you got to be of a certain size to get back in there. You're going, uh, you're not going to go frontwards. You got to go sideways to, to narrow yourself down, um, and then uh, you get to the area where um, there's uh, back in the day the. the There was a group that painted a white cross on the wall. From that point on, that's where it really gets tricky. That's where the um, term called the lemon squeeze, the gun barrel. So this is the reason we're going to get to why the body couldn't be brought out. you got an area called the gun barrel where it's like essentially two holes, one on the bottom and one on top. And you start on the bottom going in. Then you have to kind of contort your body to go upwards, and then you have to get to the top do that so body that now is deceased with rigor mortis can maneuver that you can't maneuver it. You have to. You're. You have to be a contortionist, a gymnast, uh, whatever you want. To, you got to be a, a human pretzel to get through some of these areas. And when you got a body that's and solid, you
1: just can't do it. I, I really. That's where I was confused at because of what I heard. I, I've been. I've been keeping kind of an outside perspective on this and letting Frankie do most of the research, just so I can be the inquisitive one in this. And when I was imagining this. Literally, it, I didn't know about the entrance. I'm going to say a lot of people didn't know there was, it wasn't just like literally you walk up and all of a sudden on the ground level, like you know, ground level, there's a 70 foot or 90 foot hole right in front of you. It, that and that was my imagination of when we first got into this was that was the case, but yeah, and that makes a lot more sense now that you had a trek just to get to the hole, it wasn't just sitting there on the surface ready for
0: you to jump in hole.
2: Yeah, and there was not, like, a neon sign, like, come on, here we go. This
0: is essentially a death trap.
2: And because, remember, you had to convert yourself to go up into the second, uh, uh cylinder of that gun barrel. Now you're dropping in from the top of what they call the telephone room. It might be the size of a bathroom, you know, what is it? 100 square feet, maybe. That's the telephone room. That's where they would bring in all the cable wire and brought a telephone in there to have a communication. And all of that was still in there, you know, when we went in for our, you know, the recovery of the remains. Um, and then right off to the side of that, that's where the hole is that drops down 60 feet. That's where Jim was going down. And then past that is another 30 feet. So all total, it's a 90-foot drop. And it opens up into almost like a, a light bulb or a bell. You know, it's narrow at the top, and then it just opens wide. And you could set, you know, dozens of people down in there. So that's where Jim was going down. And off to the side, as you're going down, maybe, I don't know, 20 feet or so, there was another opening. That's what he was trying to explore. It had been explored uh, years earlier by my grandfather and great uncle. There was nothing to really explore. But Jim wanted to, you know, explore it himself. And again, he had not been in this cave. So that was another bit of information that was false, is that this is the first time that he had been into this cave. He had been back uh, to the site about two weeks earlier. My uncle stopped by the house uh, at the dairy farm, the Lion Dairy Farm, and my grandfather told my uncle to bring him back to the cave. He was caving up in the Albany area. The, the owner of that the property said, "Hey, while you're up here, you should check out the you know shoulders pants cave." It was getting late in the day, so he went over and he only uh, got to the entrance uh, and said, told my uncle, you know, he'll be back, uh, you know, in a few weeks to, to explore it. When he went back in a few weeks, my uncle, my grandfather, everybody were out on either on the dairy the route or they were unavailable. And so that was always a sad thing for my grandfather was that he didn't get to see Jim and warn him that, you know what? Because we just had a warm week, there's going to be an ex- excessive amount of snow melt that's going through that cave. It's probably not ideal situation. And so Jim went back on his phone with his two companions. Both of them were novices. Jim was the only one that really had quite a bit of training. And so... He went in, and, and so this is all new to him, and so now uh, he's gone down on the rope, and again, the rope itself, it's there's a series of knots uh, that were in place called Prusik knots. I don't know if you ever heard of that term, but it's essentially, uh, it's a knot, you're making a knot that can slip easily, and then when you put your foot or your elbow into the, like, the ring, it, uh, the, your body weight tightens up that knot instead. So and then when you you get your arm out of that or your leg out of that you're able to slide that knot up to the next spot and then you put your weight into that and it tightens it up. The cavers use that a lot and it's called prusik knots. What happened is Jim went down into the, you know, the pit and like you said in one of your podcasts, there's 8 to 10 gallons of water a minute that are pouring onto him and it's about 42 degrees. So it's slightly above freezing. It's I mean it's that's deadly freezing. That's uh, you know going to make it. And these are all things that my grandfather would have alerted, you know, Jim, too, if he had uh, a conversation with him, was that, you know, we we brought back sandbags uh, and, and diverted the water just enough until we were down to the pit. And then it was, uh, you get out of the way and they said, okay, we're letting the water out and the water would flow and, and, and such. So where Jim was basically right under it the whole time, so he's getting, he's getting doused with water. The entire time, he went over, explored that uh, uh, passage a little bit, determined that there's nothing there. It's getting late. He's getting cold. I'm coming back over. He hooked onto his line and started to go up, but that rope had already started to freeze. Those knots, they were they were freezing, so that uh, he's not able to, to, to lift those knots and slide those knots up. That's why he wasn't able to move. If you can picture at the top of this, where the roof is going down into this 90 foot hole picture yourself under a normal dining room table. Okay. You got the telephone room off to the left and then you got a dining room table essentially uh, opening where you're crawling under your dining room table. And that's where the hole to the pit opens up. So when he got into trouble, you can't lift him up. A, the rope is slick and wet, and you can't get a good grip on it. But then you don't have any leverage. You can't stand up. You can't put your legs into it. You can't put your body weight into it because you're essentially, you're under, you got a roof of rock right above you. So you can't you can't physically, you can't get any leverage like you would if you're, the, you know, the end guy in a tug-of-war or anything like that. You're doing it, you're leaning over the hole, and you're using arm strength. And when you got a 21-year-old female who is probably 100 pounds, you know, a 21-year-old male who might have been you know, 160 or 170, you just don't have the strength uh, uh, to do it. They, they might have lifted him up a few inches, and then uh, there's nothing. They can't tie it around a tree. They can't. There's nothing to cure it on, and it's slipped back down again. So the whole time, water is flowing onto him. For about 35 to 40 minutes, that's when Jim took his glove off, thinking he would get a little better grip onto the rope there. And now he's just exposing even more parts of his body. And after about 45 minutes, he, uh, he stopped uh, communicating, he slouched his head, and, uh, and that was that.
1: So we, we're assuming it's hypother- that he had hypothermia within like 40, 45 minutes.
2: Oh, ab- ab- absolutely, yeah. They, they suspect that he was probably dead before the male left. The female companion, she was a 21-year-old nurse uh, from Boston. She stayed behind. The, uh, the male companion was the one that left for help. They suspect that before he even left and got out of the cave, which took him over an hour to get out of the cave, because he's doing it in pitch blackness, uh, his flashlight died. That Jim Mitchell was already had already succumbed to the uh, the elements.
1: So so my next question is, and, and I think this is probably one of the more obvious questions, and maybe just because of the, the time frame or just his process of thinking, he wasn't thinking this. But when when he realized he was in trouble, wouldn't wouldn't the logical step be, okay, I just need to get out of this water. I need to get – couldn't he go back down at that point in time, or was he, like, stuck?
2: Well, of course. No, and that's what I mentioned on the phone call uh, last week was that in hindsight, yeah, yeah but here's the thing. You're about eight or 10 feet, whatever it was, I don't know, 10 feet, 12 feet from the top of the hole where you can see your companions. Mm. Do you want to go up and hope to get out of that? Or are you thinking, no, let me drop another 90 or 70 feet or 60 feet and go down to the bottom and then I'll wait here for a few hours while somebody goes and gets help and all that? You're already freezing. You want out of there.
1: Yeah. You're within grasp, too. I mean, like you said, you know it's right there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He was, he thought, I mean, you're, you're ten feet away. You're, God, just I'm, I'm so close, and so you just you're desperately trying to get out of that hole, and it's just not working. And then five minutes, ten minutes, 15 minutes next thing you know, your your speech is starting to slur, uh, and uh, you take your glove off, and then next thing you know, you're that's it. Your head slouches,
1: and and you're done. Right, and and you're not even you're not even in the right head headspace at that point in time because you know. Even, oh God, no. No, no, exactly. Right. You're probably, he's probably hallucinating at that point. It's, you're not in right your right frame of mind anymore. So, so let's we're gonna jump along the story a little bit here. But I, one of the things I do want to hit up is uh, one of the questions I had was in we with talking about the entrance way and where the pit was at. How was the drilling done? How was that drilling from the top? Go ahead.
2: So here's the thing. Remember, I told you it's about maybe it's 200 feet for a figure. So you got the opening on one end, you got the um, where they determined the the pit hole was about 200 feet away. You know, Karis' group, they went in there with notebooks and measuring tools and so on and so forth. And they determined on the surface, they remapped the layout of the cave on the surface of the earth, and then they determined that. This was the area where the pit was. So they cleared the area with chainsaws of trees and such. They brought in uh, heavy equipment from the uh, county and the state to, to bulldoze and plow and get all that area opened. Then they brought in a drilling rig, essentially what you would use if you're drilling for a, a well. They set that up on the surface where they determined that the pit was. And this is, like said, this is about 200 feet away from the entrance. They bored down through the surface of the earth with these four-inch test holes, and okay. when broke sure. through they were about a foot away from the pit so they came out they were pretty darn close pretty amazing and so when you're in there in that telephone room and you happen to go over toward the opening of the pit as you look up you can see those four or five boring holes that are there there's not you know you can't look straight up and see daylight because there's rock and stuff like that but you can see where they came through and there's like uh, 1955. This was pretty amazing.
1: <laughs> so was was the purpose of that? The purpose of those drill holes was that, in my mind, that would be okay. We can get leverage then to be able to do some sort of.
2: <laughs> no, they want it, That's how they're gonna they're gonna open that up, and they're gonna bring Jim's body straight up.
1: Okay. Wow. So their goal was to completely open that whole section up. Then.
2: Absolutely. Okay. Once they poured through with the the four inch test holes, then they must have had a bigger rig because there's pictures that I have. Uh, it's like a you know, large manhole, and it's got corrugated metal shoring up the sides, and there's a ladder coming out of that. So they had really uh, dug down quite a bit, and uh, we're going to open that up with the idea of tying Jim's body up and bringing him straight up, because you can't bring him through the you know, the zigzags and such of the, uh, of the actual cave. So that's the part when they were boring through there, and they were off a little bit. Right. That's the part where... They broke through because the actual original hole uh, to go down into the pit and the hole that we use today is about uh, a foot or 18 inches, uh, two feet away. So that is the part that collapsed. Uh, so uh, when they said that the cave was collapsing, that in hindsight was all that was really collapsing was the roof of the pit. But if you're standing at, the, you know, in the area okay. trying to go down, you're on the floor of it if you're in the pit looking up that's the roof of it and that's what there was this large section of that that broke open and so that's when one of the cave explorers with karras's group was in there and he was like telling it get away from the hole a rock is coming down And Karras' group from above said nobody's near the hole and at that point that's when people got nervous You know, four or five days in and uh between the uh the the Chief of Police, uh, the state troopers, the fire police chief—I mean, the fire department chief—Karis. Everybody made a decision that it's just too dangerous. I'm not going to risk having one of my guys get trapped and killed in there. So we're ordering this—the this, you know—stop. The cave is collapsing, and we're, we're done.
1: So I think that that's a important question there. So that wasn't an executive decision by Karis. There was multiple entities involved with that decision.
2: There was multiple. Yeah, I've interviewed the fire chief at the time. I've talked to uh, local police at the time. It was, a, it was a group effort. It wasn't Karras coming in and uh, being it's my way on the highway. I think that came later in his short-lived career uh, in that respect. Uh, it, it right. to him, but at this point, it was a group effort. And so now they determined that they were going to dynamite the cave shut for it was going to be essentially Jim's final resting place. Because this was another, uh, you know, bit that you guys were having difficult understanding. The dynamite was placed into that shaft that they just drilled, not the entrance of the cave.
1: Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense, right there.
2: Picture a gun barrel. If you're stuffing a, an old muzzle with, you know, gunpowder and all <laughs> that, okay. So they yeah. got this pit that they they got this. This uh, uh, hole they just bore open uh, into the surface of the earth which was surrounded by bedrock, and they got a, the corrugated metal shoring it up. They stuffed that with dynamite and rocks and so on and so forth, and they detonate that. Well, it took the path of least resistance, just like a gun does. When you fire a yeah. gun, It does, the gun doesn't blow out. It goes, it goes straight where you want it to go. Well, it's the same with right. this. Everything came straight up, so... It didn't do anything to the the, the bedrock of the cave. It just it, <laughs> shot right up like a goddamn firework, going straight up. And so <laughs> wow! That's that's. Uh, but then
1: it all. But they called it a case. They said that we're done. Like we we closed the hole. Exactly,
2: right? or or not? You know, that's that's going to be his final resting place. And that's it. Just stay away from the cave. It's dangerous. Just,
1: it's it let me okay so i i'm I'm gonna again we're gonna well we'll i had to add we may just do like uh something separate on this because we're going a little bit longer than we were hoping but sure um i want to point blank a question to you and and it has to do with with the rope and with karis and we talked about did he cut the rope rope point blank did he cut the rope
2: i i personally cannot make that call Karis was dead. By the time I started my research and looking for him, he had already passed. I was able to track down his wife. Uh, she was already in a nursing home uh, or an assisted living room. And then I was able to track down uh, a couple of members of that original rescue team. They absolutely deny that any rope was cut for any reason whatsoever. And so I I can't answer that question. I, I can uh, give you my opinion. My opinion is that no, and I think I... Was that if they cut the body, or if they lowered the body? I mean, let's just say he was tied up onto the um, pulley up above. They cut that, and they lowered it down to the body. Yeah, you got to cut rope, but that just because you have a cut end of the rope, that doesn't tell you was it cut and you lowered him down? Was it cut and you just dropped him and said, "Watch out below"? I personally can't uh, believe that that's what they would do, or that you know. and and, and an aunt, an uncle of mine, uh, my aunt said when I was doing my research early on when they were still you know talking to me and on my team, essentially, because I didn't really uncover anything at that point. I was going off of 40 years of one side of a story. She point blank told me, she goes, now, Christian, you know that they never had any intention of getting that body out, don't you? And I honestly, I cannot say that I do. I can't believe that this is their first big scale rescue attempt coming up from Washington, D.C. on Air Force Two, all the newspaper and all that. And before they even left, or before they land, they're going to say, "No, guys, you know, mm-hmm. we're not going to we're not going to get the body out. We're going to make a show, but you know, we're not going to get the body out." You want to fail and just lose the tent? I don't think so. I just think that they got in way over their head, and then once they determined that, you know what, we can't get this body out; it's too dangerous. We're going to dynamite the cave. At that point, they never in a million years suspected that anybody would be able to get back into that cave. So. Yeah, he's going to say, hey, we placed the body in the body bag. I think that he said that just to kind of ease the community, ease the family, let them know that, hey, you know what, we did the best we could for your boy or for the this kid that came to work, you know, the, the town of Dallasville, and so that mm-hmm. they can all kind of go to sleep at night without having these nightmares that this body is just down the bottom of this dark pit. I think that they tried their best, uh, and they and they failed, but they wanted to at least give the impression that, hey, we tried, he's been placed on the, oh, side yeah. in the body bag. Yeah, maybe they had intentions of putting it in the body bag and then when they determined the key was collapsing and, uh, you know, they couldn't get him out, they forgot that they said they were going to put him in a body bag, and that was that was always meant to be, but it just never happened. I don't, I, I can't give you that answer. I can only, you know, give you my my opinion. Sure,
1: and that's great, and that's and that's clears up a lot of stuff. The one thing I do want to point out, and kind of on the same note, because in the article that we read, it, it talked about him being hunched over. Is is was that yeah. still the case? Was that verified as true? Yeah.
2: Well, yeah hunched over, but not hunched. I mean, the hunched over... On a side, got to remember by the time that picture was taken that, that my uncle took, it was a year and a half later, I believe. So, you know, you got a year and a half of water flowing through okay. there 365 days a year. Because the picture's not that clear, to be honest with you. It's mm-hmm. not like the pictures that we have today. And it wasn't like I had a, a flash bulb. And if you don't know what you're looking at, I'd show you that picture sure. today and it would just look like a bunch of rock and dirt and, uh, you know, like that. It's not like, oh, my God, that's a body. No. So I want to put that out there as well. So, it was hunched sure. over but it was hunched over like on its side again that doesn't determine drop from the top like that was it placed when we went down there and, and retrieved the remains there i have a picture of one of jim's bones that was near the top of the pit that was stuck in a crevice it was like at a 45 degree angle that's kind of sticking out it was because of the water over the years over the many years and uh, at one point you gotta imagine that pit was like a swimming pool filled with water and once I think it's hard to, to make any assumption with that body a year and a half later.
1: Yeah. So, okay. I, one question, I uh, got a couple, just two questions left actually, but one of them, I want to kind of get your overview on. And because he's such a prominent person in our investigation, in our case in 1967 with the three boys is, is William Karis. Give me your 10,000 foot overview uh, of who he is, how he was back then. You know, just give me an overview of his thought of, of your thoughts of William.
2: Yeah, I, I think he meant well. I think that the, I think you even might have mentioned in one of your podcasts. Uh, he probably he'd make a great used car salesman, or like traveling, you know, coming into town to do a, <laughs> a, a circus, uh, carnival barker like that. So I think that, I think he meant well, and I think that the, uh, he was interested in the exploration and all of that. And he got a great group of kids together, all went on to do great things. there military or whether it was coming up with patents for things that are still used today for research and things so put a group of people together. I think that his main focus, so uh, he liked the spotlight. He liked the attention. He liked the news cameras. He liked all that. And I don't know if those two can go uh, hand in hand where his focus should have been more on the recovery and all that instead of interested in the, the news and all of that. Um, so uh, I just think that when he came up, he was not expecting what he got because the caves in virginia and dc and all that like i said you could probably drive you know an 18-wheeler into it they probably have gift shops and uh, lighting and stairs and all that so when he got to the cave and saw what's at past one of his boys got trapped upside down in the gun barrel uh, on that first night and um panicked and vomited and all that and left that's why one person left at the uh, 18 year old kid left the first night and went back to DC. Um, so already he's like, Oh shit. Uh, but, but he didn't want to like, wouldn't say, okay, we're right here. This is more than what we could do. I think he made, uh, all of the, uh, attempts to make it look like it was uh, moving forward. And, and he really was trying his best, but, uh, to
1: him. So, yeah, the, the, that, that, makes, that makes perfect sense, especially we saw the same things happen here in Hannibal uh, in 1967 with him the yeah. first night. So, my yeah. last question, I think yeah. maybe may one of the most important questions is, did Schroeder ever find his pants? <laughs> exactly.
2: No, he, um, he left with his pants, he just tore the seat of him, you know, because he was thick. He was probably thick. So he was longer and uh, and bigger than he get into that cave. And so on a couple of different occasions, that uh, he was coming out of there, and he tore the feet of his pants right open. So it wasn't like he went out of there bare naked with the pants gone. He just come out with a big tear in his in the feet of his pants. And that's my, my grandfather and my great-uncle uh, kidded around with him uh, back then, and uh, the name gotcha. is
1: were you ever worried? My follow up question is, was were you ever worried that it was going to become Christian's Pants Cave <laughs> when you were in there? <laughs> it's not
2: to the same of heart, that's, that's for sure. Getting into that cave, uh, even in the, in the middle of June when it was 90 degrees and humidity like 100% outside, you got into there and it was like you were in the, uh, a meat wanderer. It was, uh, it's, it, 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 it can play with your mind. Uh, you're in there. You already know there's uh, a person that uh, died years earlier, and his remains are still in there. Uh, it's freezing cold. The water is flowing through. You're getting wet. It's dark, it's black, blacker than you can never imagine. The rocks are surrounding you uh, in the the and it's tighter than tight. Uh, it's it's it's
0: completely it, it mind. That's crazy, Christian. I want to thank you again for joining us on the podcast, and and just giving us a, this is one of the things that we preach is about discrepancies. And we read the paper that was pretty much written by one of your family members. And you came on here and you were able to really give us a lot of clarity, not only into William Karras, but into caving in general. And we just want to say that, you know, we really appreciate the idea that, you know, you documented all this footage and we hope that it does become a film because I think that Mitchell's story is huge and I think what you did for their family is the bigger story uh, than what, you know, for the last 40 years or so when you started the project uh, should have been about. It should have been about the family and I think you focused on that and you were able to be, and and, and having his brother Absolutely. down there with you and, and, and being able to pull his brother out with, I, I think that that's just a phenomenal story that should be still making headlines because that's the heroic things that people can do uh, when they put their mind to something. So thanks again for joining us on the Lost boys a hannibal podcast Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you and really learning a lot from your experiences thank you guys i look forward to your project as well and we'll be in touch thank you
1: thanks again to christian It was great to talk with him we learned so much it makes frankie it makes sense now. It <laughs> the does. cave makes sense. The cave
0: makes so much sense.
1: I, it is no longer just a hole in the surface of the ground. It makes uh, so much more sense of why it was difficult to get him just eight feet from the sur- you know from the hole out. No leverage. No leverage. And, and it had a tabletop on top of you.
0: Right, and because he's been in it, he was in the cave. He's gone down the lemon squeeze and the gun barrel and the what do they call it? The open floor and the light bulb and the oh yeah like just i was cringing in my seat just listening to that experience
1: i've heard you say uh, since since we talked to him i've heard you say multiple
0: times now i'm not going in a cave ever (laughs) i'm not going in a cave ever yeah so that's uh, Uh, whatever that is not why i'm doing this um i'm doing this for awareness for the boys and we will get professionals when we get to that point in the documentary we're gonna get caving professionals. That is not a place that we need to be.
1: I am a novice caver. I've been in the Mark Twain cave when I was in fourth grade.
0: That is not novice. That is, <laughs> That's that is elementary. Like, that is like I can fit in this refrigerator. That's a rock. <laughs> right, right. So uh, Yeah, and I'm not and I'm actually not the the slimmest of boys. Uh so I'm with you on that. Yeah. So even if I've you know, I lose my weight and I become the new year, new me, all that stuff in the next couple of weeks here, I'm still not getting in the cave. <laughs> <laughs> the only cave that I will have is Caveman Coffee. And if you haven't tried Caveman Coffee, you should. Our buddies over at um Podbelly Network, Art and Jacob are always promoting Caveman Coffee. You guys should check it out. From all of us here at the Lost Boys of Merry Christmas, by the way. Christmas oh. coming up. So, Merry Christmas. And happy holidays, yeah. Happy holidays, happy New Year. Yeah. Happy Hanukkah. Is December 22nd this year? I, I know. <laughs> hey, I grew up in South Florida. Uh, so Yeah, anyways.
1: so thanks. Happy holidays for everybody. And we'll be back in the, the new year with new episodes. Well, we have one December
0: 30th, don't we? Oh, yes. We'll have one before New Year's. We have a December 30th yeah. episode, so it's right on the brink. Yes. So it's a great little listening pleasure right before your New Year. And then we have a couple in the New Year. Then we have off- pretty much uh, February and then we start up with season two in March yeah so all planned out so without further ado I'm going to end the show now Chris there we go I'm sorry (laughs) from all of us here at the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast I'm your host Frankie and as always Chris Ketters and as always Chris Ketters we'll be seeing you
1: but you wouldn't let them grow so for my where I